The following audio is from Missio Day Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Missio Day or to partner with us on mission, visit mdcavl.org. Today, our scripture is going to be, he- oh, well, Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is our scripture for the day. And a loose title for it would be The Supremacy of Christ and the Persistence of the Church. So anyway, uh, anybody that's new here, my name's Jimmy Branch. I'm an elder uh, here at Missio. Um, Brian is currently preaching somewhere else this Sunday. I'm pretty sure he's actually over in Johnson City, I believe he said, uh, filling in for someone else. Uh, we're very proud of him. Um, he's such a good speaker. Um, so anyway, we've been doing a sermon series, The Dearest Place, uh, about the church. Uh, Brian said that uh, Spurgeon had a, a thing talking about the dearest place in the church. So we've been doing that. We've been wanting to focus on the church uh, because we're coming out of COVID. Some things are going on and how important we are to each other. Um, so anyway, and I'm going to stop saying um here in a second once I get my bearings. I'm, I'm almost out the door. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so please open your Bibles. If you don't have one, you can open it. Well, if you don't have one, there's one in front of you, below you, behind you, or in the back of the room. If you don't own one, you can have that. Keep it. It's yours. Uh, read it. Don't just put it in a desk drawer at home. I have to tell Christians that all the time. We used to pass out these things and do these things, and Christians always liked them. They were like little novelties, and I'd be like, if you're not going to use that and you're going to put it in your Bible... And like hold on to it for 15 years. Let me keep that because we do that, right? We probably got 55 Bibles at home. But anyway, um, <clears throat> so Hebrews 10:19 through 25. This is our text for today. Uh, but I will warn you, I've had like three months to stew on this, so we got a lot of ground to cover. Hebrews 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain. That is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So let me pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity to be here, Lord, for the months, literally, of thinking about this passage and what I wanted to say. And where I ended up, I feel that you've, you've led that there. And so, Lord, I just pray that you take over this service. Holy Spirit, you guide us. You let our ears hear what we need to hear and discard that which is garbage. I thank you that just by reading the word that we just read, the sermon's done. Because you says your word will not return void. So I thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this is where it's going to get exciting for me. I was originally uh, this particular piece of text, I was going to focus in on one thing and then I was going to have this family meeting type thing and we were going to talk about being the church, but but I felt led to go in a different direction. Uh, we're going to get there. But first, I want to talk about some other things. So this is our text. But first, I want to set the scene with one of the main themes from Hebrews. Uh, which is funny because for years, I liked Hebrews, but I didn't really pay attention to it. I was like, oh, that's written for Hebrews. And so 
so I didn't really focus on it that much, but as I've been studying it through this, I've seen one thing that keeps coming to the surface, and that's the supremacy, the superiority of Christ. He is better than dot, dot, dot. There's, there's, there's two themes that go on throughout this, the supremacy of Christ and the church. You'll see this repeated over and over and over. Our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Um, so the supremacy, superiority of Christ, this is why we can have the confidence, which is mentioned in verse 19 that of the text we just read. So the supremacy of God, Hebrews 1 through, 1, 1 through 4. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but if you want to, it's a really great uh, scripture. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And I always said, like used to, I'd be running with these guys who are doing like a lot of street preaching, or they do these speaking, they go downtown, or wherever. And I was always amazed at it. And, 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 and if, you're, if you're a preacher or a speaker, you'll often put yourself in these things in your mind. You'll say, what if I was called on right now to say something? What would I do? And I know Mark has a backup sermon in his pocket somewhere. I know he does. I know he does. Uh, but for me, I would always think of this portion of Scripture, like if I just read this and sit down. It might not be as powerful as when Jesus got up and read a Scripture and sat down, but it, I think it would be pretty good. So anyway... This is it. I'm going to read it. And I love this portion of Scripture. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That is a lot in four verses there. We're going to look at that. That's very exciting. See, the, the, the good thing about it was God started doing this. I started going, just glorifying God is awesome. Like there's, It just takes all the pressure off me because he, he's the one who's done it. He's the supreme. So all I got to do is point to him. So R.C. Sproul says this about this portion of Scripture. He says, Indeed, as the author of Hebrews describes the person and work of Jesus, the comparative quickly changes to the superlative. It is not enough to see Jesus as simply being better than what came before. He is more than better. He is the best. He is supreme. I like that word supreme. I don't know if anybody's here familiar with like these brands like Louis Vuitton and all this stuff, but there's one called Supreme. And no matter what they put their name on, like literally, I've seen skateboards, like a $30, I know who made the skateboard, it was 30 bucks, and they put their name on it, it's like $4,000. I saw a Supreme coffin one time. Literally, someone got, I don't know how much it cost, but it just had Supreme logo all over it. They say they had extra money to burn, I don't know. Or their, or their kids did, I don't know. So Supreme says this great thing. What does it say to us? What is the word Supreme? Now, I could make a big, huge list, but these are some words that came to my mind. Above over, uber, greatest, supreme in power, rank, glory, authority, importance, and so on. There's nothing more. I mean, there's nothing more. Christ is it. Like, just getting a hold of that and knowing you are a brethren of his is just amazing, just amazing. So Hebrews focuses on the supremacy of Christ. We're going to break this down and look at this because we're setting up for how we uh, to, for our scripture today. First, and this list could go on and on. These are just some that came that I, I dug out here. First, he is the supreme revelation of God. Now, this is from the, the portion we just read, just those four verses. He is the supreme revelation of God. He is preeminent over the Old Testament prophets. They spoke the word, but he is the word. Think about that. They spoke it, he is it. 
He's not just a prophet. He's the very Son of God. He's not just a messenger. He's the message. He's the creator of the world and the one who upholds it. He is the creator of all things and the heir of all things. He is the very brightness of God. I mean, and I think what the author of Hebrews is saying here, he's writing, writing to the Hebrews, to the Jewish believers. He's saying, look, this is it. Everything we've been waiting on for so long is here. Do you not realize it? Second, Hebrews 1.4, in every way Christ has supremacy over the angels and is not to be confused as one of them. I hear this all the time, and there's several cults out there that are like, oh, Jesus is an angel. If anybody says that to you or they're part of something, they're wanting you to buy a small book when they come to your door, um, uh, has something to do with towers, just run the other way. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, third, he is supreme over Moses as mediator of the law. This is something we don't think of as Christians often, but Moses was this mediator with the angels, with God for the law, and this law was to show us how we couldn't do it. But Christ is the law. He takes care of the law. He's supreme over the law. He fulfills the law. I mean, it's so deep. It's amazing. Um, but he's supreme over Moses. That's saying a lot, especially from a Jewish perspective. To say someone is supreme over Moses, like, you should be stoned to death for that. From their perspective. And I'm going to quote some guys today because they just put these words so good. Uh, Sproul says this. He says, Moses could lead the people to earthly promised land, but could not lead them to their eternal rest. All these were shadows. Everything going on in the Old Testament were these shadows pointing forward to what was coming. And fourth, he is supreme high priest. The high priest of the Old Testament offered shadows of the reality to come. The sacrifices were offered regularly, daily, all the time, continually. That's a hard task. It would be a hard task if I was the only priest and it was only one of you and I was having to make sacrifices for your sins on a daily basis. So imagine a whole community. So he's the high priest. The high priest of the Old Testament offered shadows of the reality come. Those sacrifices were offered regularly. Christ offered the true sacrifice once for all. One time for everybody. Anybody that says, and this is another cult out there, it's actually very strong in this area, that says that Christ is up there right now still making provision for your sin. Wrong, er, then he wasn't enough. But we know he was. The old priest offered objects different from themselves. They offered something else, some other animal, some other sacrifices. The supreme high priest, Jesus, offered himself. He was a perfect sacrifice. He is both the subject and the object of the supreme atoning sacrifice. He took care of it all, which this is new. This has jumped on my mind. When Abraham, God makes a covenant with Abraham, he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Get all the stuff ready. Abraham plays no part in it. Go read it. Abraham is waiting. He starts shooing crows away or birds, and he finally passes out, and that's when God shows up and God makes the covenant with himself so that it couldn't be broken by man. Man, that's like, that gives me chill bumps. So, fifth, he is not just a priest, but a king also. So our high priest is also our king. Hebrews 5 through 7 touches on this continually. Continually, it talks about this. Priest in the Old Testament came from the tribe of Levi, Levi following Aaron. Jesus was not a Levite. He was from a different order, one that was above, greater than Abraham. What? 
<laughs> like, that's like our father Abraham, right? Once again, this is going to upset Jews. Now you're talking about Abraham. Moses is one thing, but we're going outside to fight. Like, this is Abraham. This eternal high priesthood is given to Christ in fulfillment, fulfillment of prophecy in Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a prophetic psalm, and in it, I'm not going to read the whole thing, it's short, you should read it, but in it it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is this person. For a long time when I would read that when I was younger, it was all about he had no beginning and no end. There's this mystery about him. Who is he? He's like Jesus. But, but the point being here, not saying that isn't a point, is he was a king priest. We know that from the word. He was a king and he was a priest. And Abraham paid honor to him. Abraham paid tithes to him. So Jesus is after this. All shadows, all shadows of what's coming. You see your loved one, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, your wife, this person you love, you see the shadow coming, right? You can tell they're coming. You've been waiting. They've been out of town. And you can see their shadow coming around the door. Do you care about the shadow anymore once they're there? No. You have the substance. We have the substance. We have Christ. They only had shadows. So what does this mean for us? It means confidence. Because we have such a great high priest, there's no base that hasn't been covered. We just have to put our faith in him. So now we're going to get to our scripture that we read at the beginning. And this is the persistence of the church. We're going to dig into this. I'm going to read it real quick one more time just to get it back in our minds after all that, starting with Hebrews 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, verse 19 is that therefore. It starts with a therefore. Since his offering is supreme. I'm going to sum it up. Since his offering is supreme, we have confidence, boldness to approach God into his presence. Once again, from a Hebrew perspective, they're like, what? This is radical stuff. That's only for the high priest. But our high priest has opened that door for us. He's ripped that veil. He's brought us in. Guthrie, Donald Guthrie says this, the picture is of all believers now having an open invitation to come into the holy place, which is no longer reserved for the priesthood. That's huge. That was huge for for the commoner, the common person to see into the Gentile. That's the other thing. The Gentiles been brought into it. They could only see the outside of the temple. But God has now opened it up for them to just come on in. And the key there, but here's a note. Access is for those classified as believers or brethren, as, as a, according to verse, chapter 3, verse 1. So this is for the believer. This is who has followed Christ, who has put their heart in him, in him uh, that share in that heavenly calling. Okay, so something we'll see here as we go along is that those who discover this new approach to God, I'd never thought about this, 
through Jesus Christ, we'll discover a new relationship to each other. This is where we're getting back to the church. All of what the author's bringing here. And he's getting ready to give us some exhortations. So we're gonna dis- we're, we discover a new relationship with each other because we now have been accepted. We've been brought in. We've been forgiven. We've been set free. We've been washed. We've been cleansed. <clears throat> the offering, verse 20, the offering of Jesus' body in obedience to God has opened a new and living way to God's presence. So verse 21 is now this announcement of this exhortation. The author says, since we have a great high priest, and here's the exhortation. Any note takers here, here's some, here's some little three things you can write down. There's three stages that this exhortation is, is uh, given in or presented to. It's personal devotion, consistency, and social obligation. Personal devotion, consistency, and social obligation. The first stage, verse 22, that's the personal devotion. Let us draw near. And there's four conditions for this, for, of this approach that are laid down, four conditions. The first one is with a true heart. Draw near with a true heart. What does that mean? What, is, what does that mean? Because that's, for me, I'm like a true heart. It must be valiant. I should be able to pull the sword from the rock, and then Jesus will accept me. That's not what's going on here. It's a genuineness. Be real, genuine. Be the tax collector in the back beating his chest, saying, have mercy on me. Be genuine. True heart toward God. Second condition, full assurance of faith. There's no longer any reason to doubt, and I know that's a hard sentence to take right now. There's days, I'm going to tell you, there's days where the enemy comes at me, my flesh comes at me, and I'm like, this is too good to be true. I don't know. I'm pretty messed up. See, I'm putting it back on me. I'm forgetting what my high priest has done. I'm forgetting what he's taking care of. The third condition of approach is with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Now, this is not when the sprinkling talking here is talking to Hebrews during this period of time. There's these things going on in the temple. There's the sprinkling. There's all these rituals. That's not what they're not. He's not getting at the rituals of the Old Testament. But it's more of a moral condition. If you can, under, I hate to use that word moral condition, but it, it relates directly to our conscience. It's that born again thing. Saved and we know it. Your conscience has been set free. Now, I'm not saying you won't have days where the enemy's like, who do you think you are? But you've got you to split those two things. What's going on? Is God trying to draw something out in you, or are you just being weighed down by your own thoughts of trying to produce your own salvation? You have a great high priest. You should have confidence. And number four, and our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus has cleansed us. He's done the washing. He's taking care of it. Just as he washed the disciples' feet, he takes care of everything. He's the great high priest. There's nothing not covered by him. So the second stage, consistency. Let us hold fast our confession of hope. Now, it's interesting here because when you read that, let us hold fast our confession of hope. It doesn't say faith. It says hope. Hope of promises laid forth. He is faithful. And it's never inappropriate to be exhorted to hold fast in a world where values are continually shifting. If you're alive right now and you remotely listen to anything going on around you right now, it's confusing for no matter who you are. I don't even know how to have conversations with certain people right now because it's so easy to offend because everything's shifting so fast. But as a Christian, and I know there's going to be some eye rolls in here, for a Christian, the standards should be constant. 
for true believers, the standard is constant. What is our standard? Our great high priest, Jesus. Third stage, and here we are. I'm almost to the ground. Social obligations, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This is active. This whole sentence is active. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Christians should be alert to the needs of their brothers and sisters. Drives me crazy. I've seen people in literally in rooms with a bunch of Christians, and I think this person's getting ready to have a breakdown. I'm watching them, and nobody else is observant of it. Either they see it and they just don't want to deal with it. Not my job. We should be alert of each other's needs. And there's, there's two sides to this, right? You need to be alert to your brothers and sisters' needs. But as brothers and sisters, you also can't hide your needs. We're not mind readers. You can't sit at home grumbling how the church doesn't take care of you when you haven't even told them what's going on. It's like marriage, right? I'll stay away from that. So anyway, <clears throat> corporate action is indispensable. We can do more corporately. We can get more done. It's always easier to get things done with more hands. Even if you have that person that works twice as hard and gets less done, we still love them. We can use them for something, right? They're valuable too. Corporate action is indispensable. So this whole verse here implies, this seems to imply that loving one another will not just happen. It isn't. We've got to work at it. We're messed up. If you don't think you're messed up, you need to read your Bible more. <laughs> You need to pray more. You need to talk to God more. And you'll realize how much you need a Savior. And you'll rejoice in the fact that He loved you while yet you were a sinner. It needs to be worked at. It needs to be provoked in the same way as good works. So verse 25, we're, gonna, we're kind of getting to the end here. I want to just take a side road. But here on verse 25, he says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, this has been used a lot to preach like, well, you don't come to church, you're neglecting to meet together and all that's true. But as I dug into this and I looked at it like, what was going on here? Why were these people not showing up? It's kind of early in the church. Why is he having to say something? Thomas Lee says about this, and this jumped out at me, and I don't know when Lee wrote this. It's been a long time, I would say. He says this about verse 25. Persecution may have led some believers to drop out of the fellowship. The remedy they needed was to begin meeting again. The verses following in 26 and 31 showed the final outcome of neglecting to meet with other believers. That's a pretty scary set of scriptures. That'll make you read it over and over and over. Such careless living could produce a contempt for Jesus and renunciation of Christianity. That hit me in the face. I was like, what is he talking about? Such careless living could produce a contempt for Jesus. What? And a renunciation of Christianity. I wonder, when this hit me, I wonder if COVID isolation and what we've been through for two years hasn't had the same effect. We've been separated. We've been pulled apart. We haven't been in fellowship. We haven't been encouraged. In the last year, I've met with more people and talked with more people and heard about more people who have just turned on the faith. They just don't know if it's real anymore. They just don't know. 
This, this can't take it. It's too much, too much. And so I'm just like, is that what's happened? Their lack of coming together, our lack of encouraging one another, our lack of being in each other's lives, being brothers and sisters. So we're to stir, we're to meet, and we're to encourage. We are a great source of encouragement to each other. Whether you believe it or not, you've got to step out there. I know a lot of people have been hurt by the church. You've got to keep trying. You've got to keep reaching out. So Brian texted me the other day about this scripture, and I'm just going to repeat what he said there because he put it in pretty good words. You have, to, you have to think through it some here. But he was thinking about this scripture, and he said, The opposite of neglecting to meet together is not meeting together. What? You know, I've read it, and I was like, oh, Brian's going crazy. But encouraging one another. In other words, the expectation is that when we gather together, we will mutually encourage one another. So to not gather discourages the body. Now, it just hit me. Brian was able to preach in two places at once. He's in Johnson City, and he just preached again. Like, we've got to give him something for that, right? Um, <laughs> uh, so theolo- uh, one theologian says this. The New Testament lends no support to the idea of lone Christians. Anytime I meet Christians that are islands... I see a dead tree. They may have all the answers, but they're missing something. They're hiding from something, or they just think they're greater than something. I don't know. It's just, and maybe it's your personality, you're shy, you're introverted, whatever. Then we'll get you connected with other introverts. I don't know, but we're here for each other. And there's a good one. Extroverts, stop being extroverts when you're around introverts and love on them. And introverts, try your best to stop being introverts and kind of love on the extroverts. I know extroverts are super annoying. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. I can speak that way because I'm one. But um, anyway, or at least I pretend to be one. Um, so, uh, close and regular fellowship with other believers is not just a nice idea, but an absolute necessity for the encouragement of Christian values. So I didn't understand the church for a long time. For a long time. It was annoying. It irritated me. A lot of the people there got on my nerves. Um, but that had a lot to do with me. And I didn't understand what it was about. And about 15, uh, well, it's been about 16 or 17 years now ago, I was in like this really bad accident, right? Um, a mountain bike accident. And I got, I didn't get to jump out of a plane, but I did get to fly in a helicopter. I don't have any memory of it. I always tell people I always wanted to take those $25 flights at the Gatlinburg or whatever on a helicopter. I got a flight, don't remember any of it, and it cost me like 6500 bucks. So <laughs> a little bitter on that end. But... So in this accident, I was flown to another state. Um, it was pretty bad. It was like touch and go. It changed a lot of stuff in my life. And in it, my wife just got a phone call that was like, hey, uh, from someone else who was involved in the accident, someone else went to a different hospital. It was a really bad mountain bike accident and it involved two bikes. So, so she had to find me. She was trying to figure out what was going on. We had a little four-year-old at the time, uh, and she was just trying to figure out where they sent me, somewhere in, in South Carolina. But as all this unfolded, um, there were some really awesome things that came out of it. Uh, for one, and it's interesting, the other day my wife was going through the closet and cleaning out some things, and there was this big card in this envelope, and it was from the youth group, the church I used to be at during that period of time. It had every one of the kids' names on it. And there was actually a young man whose name's on there, and he was here doing worship for a long time. His name was Jonathan Atkinson. And uh, uh, Jonathan, when he found out I'd been in this accident, this is within 24 hours, probably less, because I think the youth pastor was like, because he was on his way to, to get to me, because, I mean, I was a grown man, but I was helping with youth and stuff like that. And, 
and put the call out. And so this Jonathan, he rallied all the youth, and they went to the church, and they got into the building, and they just prayed. That's all they could do, but that was right, right? And it was, believe me, it was very touch and go. It was one of those things that was like, okay, you could have died for sure, like real. Like one of those deals where the doctor's like, we can only wait and see. Visitors. There were visitors that came to see my wife and me. And I don't remember the hospital. I don't. I have like a gap of memory there, from right before the accident and to after. But there was all these people that came and visited um, about a week or two after. Then that's when my memories pick up. So, so there was people that came and visited. People here were calling people there in churches who were coming and bringing my wife needs, toothbrushes, stuff she needed relieving her, helping her. There's people that drove from here to see my wife. I have never met, not to this day, and she hasn't again. They were just part of the church. They were just believers who cared. They took time out of their day to go and love and minister on another family. They didn't even know that well. The church. The church continued to send and help and help us keep going. That's what we're here for. So the church, and I'm going to end on this, unity. Jesus talks about you'll know the church by their love, but they'll be unified. We do have unity and we can have unity when we just love each other and try to work together for this one common goal. So we have one body, we have many members. That's a whole other another, uh, scripture there. But know your role. Every one of you has a gifting. Every one of you has something to give and help. And I'm not talking about whether it be playing music or whatever. It can be that. But it could just be loving on someone in your community group. It could be starting a community group. It could be leading a community group. It could be just loving on your brothers and sisters when they need help. I mean, there's just so much that we can do. Um, uh, gifting. Learning to give. Learning to give. Um, this is not a tithe. I'm not talking necessarily about tithes and offerings. I'm talking about like what you give into this church goes out to other places. We're getting ready to send to Africa. It's not free. These lights aren't free. The benevolence is not free. All that has to come from somewhere, and that's how together we get things done. You also need to learn how to take. Yeah, that's right. That's what we have benevolence for. If you're struggling and you can't make ends meet, come to us. We want to help. We want to figure this out together. Grace, love, and mercy. Don't just say do. Blood is thicker than water, right? You've always heard that. If you've grown up here or anywhere in the world, I think, but in the South, I think blood's thicker than water. When you look around, this is your family. These are your brothers and your sisters. Jesus calls us brothers and sisters. Remember, he created everything. So verse 25 finishes with this. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What is that day? The day of reckoning, the second coming of Christ. It's going to happen. All the more as we see the day drawing near, we need to love on each other, fellowship and encourage so we can grow. So this is a war. We need each other. I need every one of you guys. I wouldn't be up here right now if it wasn't for the six or seven people that are praying that I hold it together up here. Probably more. All these angels in heaven, the cloud of witnesses. The day is drawing near. Um, so let us encourage and stir one another toward good works. So how does all this relate to the gospel? The question is, are you in the family? And if you don't feel like you are, 
Come see one of us. Come see an elder. Come, go see one of your brothers and sisters. They will point you in the right direction.